Today's topic is on health literacy, the healthcare system, and various innovations enhancing the industry. We are so excited to have our guest, Dr. Evans, on set today. Uh, to give a little background about Dr. Evans, um, he's served over 20 years of clinical and leadership experience. He earned his MD from the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA and then proceeded to earn an MBA from Sacramento State College of Business. Dr. Evans then served as a chief medical officer at Dignity Health, and currently, Dr. Evans is the president at Mercy Hospital of Folsom and Dignity Health, Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Evans. We're so excited to get started. Um, the first question that I kind of want to bring into perspective with some of our viewers um, on today's topic of, you know, health literacy and um, the developments in fintech as well as new innovations you know, what has been the most significant challenge that you faced last year with COVID in the hospital uh, in the hospital system? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Sean. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, it has been a remarkable couple of years, really. The last year has been very, very tough with COVID. Um, most of us will recall that COVID-19 caused a huge surge in the United States uh, last winter. And then there was another, uh, the so-called Delta variant surge that came kind of more during the summer months, uh, which was pretty challenging for us. So, um, you know, I'm the president of two hospitals, one of them in Grass Valley, one of them in Folsom. Both were impacted during both of those spikes. And uh, a lot of patients were admitted to the hospital, some of them extremely ill, and it put quite a strain on our resources. In addition to that, you know, we had a lot of, uh, difficulty and challenge with our employees trying to keep themselves safe from the virus uh, and, you know, wearing protective equipment while taking care of sick people. And it was really draining for a lot of our nurses, our techs, our physicians and others just, um, you know, serving their communities and trying to deal with this pandemic. But I will say this, you know, uh, when we first looked at the pandemic, we were worried because we were doing mathematical projections of what we would see in the hospitals and the projections were very alarming at the beginning of the pandemic. And it really looked like our hospitals would be overwhelmed with COVID patients. Um, you know, and it hasn't been easy. I don't want anybody to get that idea, but it wasn't as bad as we might have expected it to be, mostly because of the fact that people were um, really trying to prevent the spread of COVID. They were doing things like wearing masks and avoiding social or social gatherings and then of course getting vaccinated. So, um, but, but it's been a tough go. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And luckily we're seeing the numbers kind of decrease and hopefully we're getting through it. Great. That, that's great. You know, definitely um, love to hear. So how, how would you describe um, the level of health literacy in the United States? And this is kind of more on a general scale. Um, do you see people maybe more healthier uh, or less healthier right now compared to 20 years ago? Or what's, what's something that you've kind of noticed, um, especially uh, given in the last couple of years, you know, with COVID and seeing a variety of different patients coming in? Well, I mean, so are we healthier or not is one question. Are we more literate with regards to health? That's another question. I, I think, um, you know, you could clearly point to the fact that uh, people are living longer nowadays than they used to uh, in the past, including 20 years ago. So that's a good sign. Fewer people smoke cigarettes than they did 20 years ago. That's a huge improvement. Right. Uh, however, uh, there are still significant problems 
And uh, notably, obesity is a huge problem in the United States. Uh, so uh, that, that has me concerned. What certainly changed, I think, is that there seems to be a bifurcation of health in our country where you know, some people are very, um, uh, very clear about trying to prevent medical illnesses and they take responsibility for their health and others, uh, whether they're just in a you know, difficult social situation or whatever the cause may be, are not as uh, effective at that. Or maybe they don't have access to healthy food. They don't have access to medical treatment and preventative care. And so in some of its decision-making, so there really is kind of um, you know, uh, a bifurcation of health in the country. With regard to health literacy, I think that it's re really interesting. I mean, never before have we had so much access to information right. about health, and certainly the you know the research and the technology of healthcare has exploded in the last twenty years. So we have many more treatments and many more things out there that people can do. Um, unfortunately, though, the way in which people get information about health is not always reliable. And, and one thing it seems uh, to be the case is that people have a, a hard time understanding whether the information they're getting is accurate sure. uh, or, or unbiased. And so if they end up getting information that is you know, biased or inaccurate, then they may not make great health decisions. And also in the United States, there's a tremendous amount of money to be made in health. So there's a lot of people trying to sell a lot of stuff claiming it's good for your health or you should buy these supplements or you should, you know, uh, do whatever to be healthier and it may not be true. So I think that um, I'd like to be able to say that Americans are really good consumers of the information that's out there, but unfortunately I don't think that's the case for everybody. Right. Right. And I, you know, I, I, I can definitely speak from a youth perspective on, you know, on a lot of information on masks and COVID came from the internet. And um, I feel like that was really driving a lot of what, what at least kids were posting on social media, you know, and kind of driving their decision makings on, okay, you know, I should wear a mask right now, or I shouldn't be wearing a mask. And then it's like a dilemma kind of a thing, you know, so I definitely, um, yeah, see where that comes from. Um, the next question that I want to move on to today is, uh, why is the United States healthcare system so expensive? So I know that you mentioned that there's a lot of money being made in some cases, right? And um, in, in how does insurance work exactly? Yeah, so that <laughs> it's a big question, Sean, and sure. I appreciate you asking it. But just let's let's review a little bit what other countries do, and kind of compare that to what the United States does with regards to our healthcare system. So, of course. Uh, some people are familiar with other systems, like in Canada, for example. In Canada, you know, the government basically issues insurance to everybody, and it's it's very much like our Medicare uh, system. So. You, know, you get a government insurance, and then if you need health care, you go to a doctor, you go to a hospital, and the government insurance is available and kind of kicks in and pays for the care that you need. Uh, because everybody has the same thing, there's some efficiencies to be gained there, um, and, and it's easier for the government to align uh, services with what is cost-effective. Uh, let's take another country like the United, the United Kingdom. So if you go to the UK, uh, they have a system that is basically, not only do they have government insurance, they actually provide all the health care as well. So it's kind of like the, the Veterans Administration we have in the United States. Right. Uh, so, you know, if you're a citizen of the UK, you just go and everything is paid for already. And everybody that works in healthcare, with a few exceptions, are employees of the government, which is very different than what we have here in the United States. Um, right. But... 
it's got kind of end to end, um, you know, they've got all the verticals, as they say. So they, they do have control over a lot of it and it becomes um, easier again to, to line up incentives. But because it's a government entity, it can become bloated and it can become inefficient like we've seen in many government programs in the United States as well. Sure. And then you look at other countries, like let's say Germany. So Germany's got health insurance. They're independent, private, nonprofit insurance sure. companies, and there's a multitude of them. And so somebody, if you're a German citizen, you have to have insurance, it's mandatory. And so you pick one of them and you pay for it, um, unless you can't afford it, in which case you're just assigned one of them. Um, but these are nonprofit insurance companies and they have to provide a certain level of care. So the United States has by far the most complex system there is. It, it basically has elements of all of that, all of those different systems here in our country. We have a VA system, we have a Medicare system, we have private insurance, we have for-profit insurance, nonprofit insurance, nonprofit healthcare systems. There are certainly public uh, providers of healthcare and there are independent ones. Um, there are also people that are uninsured. And so those folks drive up the cost of care as well. It is enormously complex to manage all of this because anytime you go in for care, the first question is, how are you paying for this? Yeah. And, and it becomes very complicated. There's a huge infrastructure in our country uh, just to figure out who is charging who and who's paying for the care. Uh, that infrastructure isn't necessary in other, in other countries. Uh, so that's part of the cost. But the biggest issue in my view, Sean, is that if you, if you have your incentives to make money uh, not correctly aligned, then it drives up the cost. Right. And so I'll give you an example. You take the population of say Sacramento. Uh, if we really just wanted everybody to be healthier and we really wanted everybody to you know, live a long time, have a healthy life and keep the cost down, we would focus aggressively on things like healthy diets. Right. Yeah. But if you're a doctor and you want to, you know, make good money and you want to, you know, have a good income, you probably go into something like cardiac surgery where, you know, people that need cardiac surgery have heart disease right. because they probably don't eat the right food. So um, we're investing our money into infrastructure that is downstream of things that could be preventable. And so because of that, we're doing things in a very expensive way. It's much more expensive to do heart surgery on a person than have them eat healthy food. Yeah. Uh, and stop smoking and control their blood pressure and get some exercise. So uh, it, we've got it a little bit backwards in the United States in a lot of ways. And we have had that for a long time. We're starting to shift, but right. we're still not there. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, on the topic of fintech, right, financial technology, digital payments, you know, PayPal, a lot of uh, tech companies are now getting involved with this new uh New form that a lot of people are actually thinking that is going to take over uh, the banks pretty soon. You know, by 2030, there's some people that estimate, you know, hey, people aren't going to need banks anymore. All the uh, technology companies are going to be managing all the payments, right? Um, so how do you think fintech will influence health insurance or any access to the healthcare? Well, I mean, I... I bet I bet anything you know more about fintech and the healthcare space than I do. I mean, fintech is you know rapidly growing area. Obviously, it's a tool that can make uh, transactions more efficient. There's Definitely. a lot of growth potential there, but it's a tool that can be applied you know by the health insurance companies or you know by healthcare <laughs> systems in ways that you know may not actually improve the access to healthcare. It really depends upon the way the tool is applied, but just like any tool, you know, right. it could be helpful or not helpful, but it could be predominantly used to generate profits for someone. 
So I think we have to be a little bit careful about saying that fintech is a solution. I think there could be specific fintech tools that uh, benefit patients and access to care. Uh, but again, I think it goes back to just aligning financial incentives and making sure that the rules support healthy decision-making and healthy patients, as opposed to profits for insurance companies, healthcare systems, um, and providers. Sure, sure. And um, on the topic of technology, um, do you know of any, maybe like, uh, can you tell me maybe about some of these new uh, technology that's being used in the industry that's really streamlining the ability to get uh, treatments, you know, and uh, kind of help enhance uh, the, the healthcare industry right now? Yeah, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of different things going on in this space. And I think there's tremendous opportunity for people to um, create solutions that make it easier for people to get the care that they need more efficiently. You know, if you go back in time to kind of the older generation, you know, my age and up, um, I think that people expected healthcare to be a certain way, kind of an old fashioned model, where sure. if you wanted some sort of medical advice or treatment or whatever, you would go see a doctor, you'd call somebody on the phone and make an appointment and you'd go see a physician. Um, you'd probably wait a long time to get in and then you'd go in there and they'd examine you and maybe they'd run some tests and the whole process would take quite a while. Um, now, the younger generation, you know, I think about my daughters, they don't really wanna go into a medical office if they can avoid it. They'd rather just pull their phone out and receive medical care through their phone. Um, they're okay interacting with a non-human uh, who perhaps is gonna provide uh, some sort of diagnostic capability, right. certainly streamline the interface. So that's a good thing. Certain healthcare systems are really, I mean, all healthcare systems are trying to do this at some level. Some are farther ahead than others. Sure. Um, but I think there's a lot of ways that, uh, that things could be much more efficient and, and automated. So, I mean, truly, you know, there, there can be and will be, I believe, algorithms that can manage chronic diseases much more effectively than the way we have done it in the past. You know, the way, like, if you think about high blood pressure, for example, mm -hmm. there's 400 million Americans, many of them have high blood pressure. And the, the way they've managed that over the years is they've all gone to their own individual physicians and had, you know, their blood pressure medicines adjusted based on the readings that they get in the office. That's probably not a good, efficient way to do that. There's right. probably, you could probably manage every American's blood pressure with a single computer and, and the right algorithm. Uh, sure. And it could be done automated and it would be better control. It would actually be better care. So I think we'll get to situations like that very, uh, very soon, mm -hmm. but it's going to require people's level of acceptance. And I think the acceptance will be easier for the younger generations. Sure. Sure. And um, on the topic of telehealth, I know you mentioned, you know, your, your daughters would be okay with just zooming in or something, right? With a doctor or even using AI, right? To kind of move back yeah. and forth and figure out what treat treatments would be needed. Um, so have you seen, is that slowly becoming more popular, you know, over time with, um, with people making appointments and doing certain checkup procedures or? Yeah, so big, big shift in that. I mean, I think there's two things. Telemedicine, uh, there's sort of traditional telemedicine where you still are talking to a person, you know, and it's really just an extension of the stethoscope. So, so uh, we've seen a huge uptick in that in the last couple of years. What happened with the pandemic is uh, because people really did not want to go see their doctor and people wanted to you know, stay separated and not expose themselves to COVID, there was uh, a change in payment for telemedicine visits that is still in effect today. So you didn't, you, it used to be that you couldn't actually generate a bill as a doctor by doing a telemedicine visit. 
And now that's a covered uh, encounter. Right. And um, that looks to be, that's been extended now through 23, 2023. So based on that, that will be a sustained change. And so there's some clinics where, you know, 30, 40, sometimes 50% of their visits are telemedicine now, whereas it used to be a very small number. So that's been a huge shift. And I think that will continue to be the case. The other thing you mentioned, though, Sean, is uh, artificial intelligence related to healthcare. And this is a game changer. I, I really believe we're going to see many more examples of this. Sure. We're already using artificial intelligence uh, in our system, and many other systems are as well. One example of that is we use artificial intelligence to overread images and to look for things that perhaps a radiologist did not see on certain images that need to be followed up on. Uh, both to um, you know de detect and do early treatment on things like cancer, uh, but but also just to make sure uh, people can get the best possible care that that they need. And so the AI has really I think come along, and we're going to see a lot more good examples of that. Great, great, yeah. So just closing out here, you know, um, on the question of rising uh, obesity with youth, it's always been a huge problem in America, right? And it, it's, it seems like it might be slowing down a little bit or maybe not, right? But what can maybe be done to mitigate against it? Yeah, it's a great question because um, if you look at what we eat as Americans, it's pretty worrying. Um, you know, we're, we're a long ways away from an ideal diet, at least in most areas of the country. Uh, people are eating, you know, way too much sugar. They're eating way too much animal protein, and you know, they're eating way too much saturated fat. They're eating too much processed food, uh, sure. and you know, it, you're being bombarded constantly with images and advertisements for food that really we shouldn't be eating very much of. I mean, if you just jump in your car and drive, you know, across Sacramento, you're going to see billboards. You're going to see all kinds of places and signs and advertisements telling you to eat things that you really shouldn't. Right. Uh, if you watch television, you're going to see commercials constantly or on the internet for food that is really uh, unhealthy yeah. for you. Um, clearly, what we need to be doing is eating mostly vegetable plants, you know, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, uh, not processed food, um, and certainly not drinking soda and that type of thing. So um, the problem is that a lot of these substances that are in food that these food companies are trying to sell us are very addictive, you know, sugar yeah. especially, but uh, you know, they try to make the food as delicious as possible, and uh, sugar in particular is very addictive, and it's very problematic. So um, I, I don't have the silver bullet on this one. It really relates to human behavior and psychology, but I do think that, um, you know, we need to call it what it is. And I mean, the, the food industry in the United States is out for profit, and they do not care if we become unhealthy as a result of it. Sure. And I think that's very unfortunate. Yeah. For sure. Um, and, you know, on the topic of kind of educating the public, right, and um, especially America's youth moving forward, what do you think would be, maybe be the best solution to kind of tell people where to go, you know, for certain health treatments or um, really just general health advice, right? And, you know, don't stay away from these kind of foods, right? Make sure that you eat, you know, certain types of calories every kind of day. How do you think would be the best method or approach to uh, really educating um, the youth about uh, health choices? Well, I mean, I, I feel like I would go way upstream in terms of answering that question. Um, sure. I think the fundamental problem for youth and all of us really is we need to take responsibility for being consumers of information. Yeah. 
And, and the youth today are faced with something I was not faced with when I was young, right? Uh, and that's the internet and that's you know, smartphones and social media and a bombardment of information that is curated specifically for each uh, individual. So you, know, you pull out your phone, you could just be surfing along and it's giving you content all the time. You're not asking for it, but it knows what, you, what your preferences are and they're trying to sell you things. And that is a horrible way to find out anything about a subject, whether it's your health or politics or really anything at all. So I think that we as individuals need to know that we're being manipulated by social media and information sources that are biased and inaccurate sure. and really try to go back to legitimate sources of information. So like what you're doing here, I think is fantastic. You're, you're going right to the source and trying to find out, you know, what do, we, what do we need to know in order to stay healthy? What do we need to know to create a better healthcare system that works for everybody? Um, but uh, when you get on your phone, get on your computer and start trying to find out information, you've got to vet the sources. Yeah. You can't just pull up whatever pops up on your, whenever you Google something, it's got to be, is this information that's accurate? Is it verified? Am I looking at scientific information that's been peer reviewed? Is it, you know, is the research solid? We all have to become connoisseurs of outstanding information or else we're just going to go down a rabbit hole of misinformation. And I've seen it over and over again in healthcare. Sure, sure. Well, that wraps it up for us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Evans.